I thank you for being here this morning. We welcome those who are joining us uh, online and by uh, other means. We appreciate you as well. Let's uh, turn back to our scriptures now to the gospel according to Mark. And I will uh, uh, read from verses 12 uh, down through verse 21 once again. And uh, we will uh, enjoy, I hope we will enjoy this passage of scripture. It's just been such an encouragement and a blessing to me to meditate on it and to think on it. Let's pray one more time. Oh Lord, I'm, I come to you again just absolutely helpless. As far as spiritual strength is concerned, unless you enable me, I can do nothing more than read and say words. Only you can give life to the words. Only you can give power. And I ask for power. Life-giving power. Through the preaching of your word. That your people might be, might be strengthened. That they might feed on the word. That we might, that it might just become part of us. That we might absorb it into ourselves and live it in light, or live our lives in light of it, and that you be glorified in us. In Jesus' name, please speak to us, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, let's uh, begin. Uh, verse number 12. And on the first day, of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples, John uh, tells us that, or excuse me, Luke tells us that it was Peter and John. Uh, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city. And a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Uh, doesn't that uh, kind of remind you a little bit of when he came into the city back in chapter number 11? Remember when he came as uh, uh, on the donkey and all those people uh, were uh, crying Hosanna to the son of David? Well, uh, before that... He had done something very similar to this. He sent his disciples into uh, the city uh, and said, uh, when you uh, see a colt or a, a donkey uh, tied, just uh, get it and bring it to me. And if they say anything to you, say the master has need of him. And they went, the scripture said, and found it just as he had said. And so again, Jesus is doing this. And let me just say this. It is, uh, it's obvious to me that he knows what's going on. 
He is not taken by surprise by anything that is happening. And I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but uh, uh, these two instances really point that out, don't they? Don't they just nail that down? That nothing is happening is a train wreck. Nothing that is happening is uh, uh, some sort of uh, out-of-control circumstance, but he is in control of all things and everything is working out according to his plan. And so he says, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you, follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room? Where is my guest room? Did you ever notice that? Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room. Now look at what it says. A large upper room furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve, and as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They, will, uh, they began to be... They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Now, I've entitled the message this morning, The Ultimate Passover. The Ultimate Passover. Some have uh, entitled this section, The Last Passover. Uh, but I felt like the word ultimate uh, described the, the, the value and the and the reality of this Passover more than just saying the last. The word ultimate, in, uh, according to Webster's Merriam-Webster Dictionary, implies the last degree or stage of a long process beyond which further progress or change is impossible. And so I think this is the ultimate Passover. Jesus Christ, the one to which all Passovers had pointed in all the history of the Jewish people, has come to this Passover. And this is, as I've already said, this is orchestrated so clearly before our very eyes. 
we see that he came into the city at exactly the right time. You know, uh, if you remember that first Passover uh, back in Egypt, there was uh, uh, there were some rules that God gave concerning the Passover. I don't know. I hope you don't mind me reading it, but uh, it's very important to understand what's going on. But in Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 13, God gives the instructions for that first Passover. And he says uh, in uh, chapter number 12, verse 1, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household be too small for a lamb, then the he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according that each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You shall take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lamb at twilight. So here's what Jesus has done. He has come into Jerusalem on that 10th day of the month. And he has been there since that time. And all that time, I, I, I assume that the reason that God commanded them to put that lamb up uh, from the 10th to the 14th day is so that it could be examined so that they could be sure that it was without blemish and without spot. And so uh, Jesus has come into Jerusalem at exactly the right time as that Passover lamb and that entire time they tried to find fault with him. Did they not? And so uh, they have come to that, uh, we have come to that point now where it's time to offer the Passover lamb and Jesus is there with his disciples. Let me continue reading in Exodus. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night roasted on the fire and with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat it, any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain till the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. In this manner, you shall eat it. Now listen, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute 
judgments. I am the Lord. I am Jehovah, Yahweh. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So uh, there's some uh, wonderful uh, truths for us to glean just from the reading of the Old Testament Passover uh, account. But uh, uh, there's something very significant happening in our text here. And as I've already said, that significant thing is that Jesus is there. He is the one that the whole thing, even in all their history, they were commanded to, uh, uh, to have this Passover feast. It was a memorial feast that reminded them that they were slaves in Egypt and that God had brought them out of Egypt, but it was also a, uh, a forward-looking feast because they were looking for their Messiah. And so this was a, uh, and as we know in Scripture, there were uh, many, besides this, many types and shadows that foreshadowed, that pictured beforehand the coming of the Messiah. And so God had delivered Israel from Egypt with a mighty hand, and Jesus knows that he is the fulfillment of that Passover. Uh, as a matter of fact, there's, uh, uh, as I've already said, there are so many things that uh, uh, show us that this is something that was uh, uh, preordained. And some people will say that Jesus actually uh, 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 went and set things in order ahead of time and things like that. But that's not what happened. That couldn't have happened. This is the uh, assurance to us that our God, who chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, has set everything in the world, in time, in history, and in the future, he set it all up to bring his people to himself. And so, uh, uh, I, uh, we, as Art said, when we were in uh, the service at... Uh, uh, Trinity this past week, we heard a message out of John chapter 13, and as uh, I was meditating on this uh, yesterday afternoon, I, I uh, remembered John 13 and what, he, what John says about Jesus, what he knew when he came to this time of Passover. In John chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, listen to what John says. Now, before the feast of the Passover, 
before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back from God to God, there's eight things at least in those three verses that Jesus went to the Passover knowing. First of all, he knew his hour had come. And I think Art was talking about it uh, earlier this uh, in the uh, teaching hour of, because uh, Jesus several times in his earthly ministry as it's recorded for us, things were uh, things happened, attempts were made to seize him, attempts were made to attack him and uh, and the Bible says that he, passed through their midst, or he escaped away from them because his hour had not come. In John chapter 7, his brothers even told him, you need to go up to Jerusalem uh, uh, for the Feast of Tabernacles because if, if you do these things, I mean, nobody does things like you do that don't want to be known, so you should go up there so people can see what you can do. And Jesus said... My time has not come. But now his hour has come, has it not? This is his hour. That night he's going to eat the Passover with his disciples. That night after the feast he's going to be betrayed. That night he's going to be uh, whipped and flogged. And the next morning he's going to be nailed to a cross and hanged in humiliation before all. Jesus knew that his hour <coughs> excuse me had come. Not only did he know his hour had come, he knew his own. And what's he talking about? He knew those who were his. And he knew those who were not his as well. He knew his own. Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful thought that is. He knew his own and he loved them so much that he was willing to just stay the course and die for them. Number three, he didn't just know his own, he loved his own. He loved them. The next thing, number four, he loved them to the end. Now that's awesome. You say, well, what does that mean, to the end? It means... Uh, it means everything that it can mean and more. It means to the end of the place where there is no end. He loved them forever. He loves with an everlasting love, an eternal love. And uh, he also knew, number five, that Judas would betray him. Number six, he knew that the Father had given all things into his hands. Isn't that amazing? Here is a man that is about to suffer unimaginable, uh, re, uh, 
unimaginable hatred toward himself, unimaginable uh, uh, suffering of every imaginable way, and he is ready for it. He has everything in his hands, which means he could have called for rescue. He could have done anything necessary to stop it from happening, but he didn't. He stayed the course. Did I say that before? Jesus stayed the course. Number six, no, number seven, he knew that he came from God. And number eight, he knew he was going back to God. And so he had all this assurance when he came to uh, this Passover. And of course, for the Jewish people, the Passover was like their Independence Day. The, uh, it was Freedom Day for them. It was a solemn occasion, but it was still a celebration, a joyous occasion, because it was like Israel's Emancipation Proclamation. But it was more than a proclamation. It was deliverance through the power of God and through judgment and through the blood of the Lamb. Israel had been, uh, as I said, commanded uh, by God to keep this feast throughout their generations. And uh, of course, that first Passover that we read about had obvious practical and experiential benefits for them. But God's judgment had been declared on all the inhabitants of Egypt. And that would have included the people of Israel, wouldn't it? God had, judged, had declared judgment and death on all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. But God spoke to his people. He spoke through Moses to the people of Israel and said, here is a way that you can escape judgment. That's good news, isn't it? Judgment is pronounced. Death is decreed. The death of the firstborn. But heed the message of God's servant Moses. His message is a, uh, a proclamation of grace. A proclamation of mercy. It is a proclamation of life in the place where death once loomed. The message of Moses delivered from Jehovah, uh, that he got from Jehovah to deliver to his people was a picture of the, uh, the, uh, of an innocent lamb without spot or blemish that would be slaughtered and offered and, uh, and bled out as a substitute for the condemned one. And so there was a substitution that was taking place. That lamb that was offered was offered because there was a young man or a young woman or a firstborn child that was going to die if this offering was not made, and if this uh, uh, 
message was not heard and obeyed and embraced and believed by the people of God. He, uh, the lamb was to be taken, not, uh, not the Israelite. It was the lamb who would suffer. It was the lamb who would bleed. It was the lamb that would die, but the child of God would live. And this is the word from God of graciousness to save the condemned and deliver all God's people who believe. Now, the... Uh, <clears throat> The first Passover had uh, other less obvious uh, types and shadows that picture uh, that type. Uh, and uh, that I don't know how I wrote this because I can't hardly read it. But uh, it was a shadow uh, that was looking forward to Jesus, the Lamb of God. And that feast, every time it was celebrated uh, after that first Passover had both a backward look and a forward look. Uh, it was uh, uh, looking forward to this ultimate Passover where Messiah would come. And the first Passover, as in the ultimate Passover, a nation was being judged. When uh, uh, the first Passover was instituted, Egypt was being judged, was it not? Egypt was under the judgment of God. He had already given nine plagues, and this uh, uh, plague that was uh, the precursor to the uh, Passover feast was uh, the ultimate one that would uh, uh, slay the firstborn of every creature in the land of Egypt. And so there was a nation that was being judged. Well, in the Passover that we read about here in Mark chapter 14, there is a nation being judged. And we have talked about that uh, quite uh, thoroughly, I'm sure. But uh, Israel was being judged uh, during this time. Jesus had pronounced the judgment, the wrath of God, that was coming on that nation and that there would be not left a stone upon another in the in Jerusalem in that surrounding area and in 70 AD that actually came to pass <clears throat> and so not only was there a nation being judged but there was a nation being born in that first Passover, if you think about it, Israel ceased. That's when they ceased to be a family. They went into Egypt as a family, right? They went into, into Egypt when Joseph was the viceroy in Egypt. And they went uh, there with, uh, with the desire to be protected from the famine that... <clears throat> was taking place and so they were there but uh, uh, they were there some 430 years and they multiplied and they came out of Egypt 
on Passover, uh, some uh, uh, one and a half million, two million souls. And so they were, let, they were no longer just a family. They became a nation. Well, I say in this Passover uh, that we have before us, when Jesus came, Jesus, the Passover lamb, there was a nation being judged, but there was a nation being born. This is the, uh, uh, the birthplace of the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. The kingdom of God is going to be established on this, this uh, uh, occasion. Jesus would die on the cross as the sacrificial lamb, but he would rise again to be the chief cornerstone of the temple of God and the people of God and the building of God. Well, uh, I've got some more stuff to say. This is the beginning of the New Jerusalem, the kingdom of Christ. So, you know, I guess uh, it, it would be difficult for us to imagine what it was like to have been there then. But uh, it, it would have been wonderful if anyone could have understood what was actually going on then. We don't read of anything. It seems like Mary, uh, who anointed, uh, anointed Jesus for burial, maybe she understood. You remember back in uh, uh, the uh, earlier chapters of the book of Luke when Mary and Joseph brought uh, baby Jesus to perform what was commanded of the law. They brought him to the temple. Uh, as a baby, there was uh, uh, a couple of people there who they understood what was going on, didn't they? And I wonder if anyone understood what was actually happening when Jesus showed up at this Passover. But, uh, but what was happening was that uh, unlike the first Passover and all those Passovers before this, Unlike those Passovers, it wasn't men who were providing the lamb. This time, God was providing the lamb. And so as they come to the uh, Passover celebration, the way the Passover is uh, celebrated is uh, there's a beginning uh, uh, singing of psalms or recital of psalms. And in the beginning of the Passover, this is really interesting to me, they, uh, <clears throat> they sing the first three psalms of the Hallel. And that is Psalm 113 through Psalm 115. The Hallel is Psalm 113 through 118. But uh, as the beginning of the Passover, they recite the first three psalms. The first one uh, talks about the sovereign God who looks down on the poor and needy. It's the story of the Exodus. Psalm 114 is, uh, just praises God for the Exodus. And psalm 115, 
warns against, in light of what God has done, it warns against idolatry, serving any other god. And, um, and then in Psalm, in the end of the Passover, they sing the last three psalms of the Hallel. By the way, Hallel, do you recognize that in any way? If you add the word Yah to the end of it, Hallelujah. <laughs> it's the praise. And when you add Yah to the end of it, it's the praise of Yahweh. To the praise of Yahweh. And so at the end of the Passover, they sing the last three. And this is, this is just amazing to me. Psalm 116, the psalm of thanksgiving. The shortest psalm of all the psalms. Psalm 17, notice what it does. It invites all the nations, the Gentiles, to come in. Do you see what's happening on the day of, of, uh, of Passover? Is that uh, it's not just a Jewish festival that Jesus is uh, orchestrating here. This is one that invites all nations to come and partake of this Passover lamb. Mm -hmm. And then Psalm, Psalm 118. This is the final one. This may be the one that they sang when they went out to the Mount of Olives. You know, the scripture said they went out to the Mount of Olives and sang a hymn. Or they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. Listen to this. I'm not going to read the whole psalm, but uh, verses 22 through 24. Listen to what it says. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Oh, praise God. Isn't that something? You know, we hear people say that sometimes. Uh, uh, they'll try to get you all encouraged. And they'll say, this is the day the Lord has made. And that's good. That's every day is the day the Lord's made, right? And every day we should rejoice and be glad in it. But this has a special significance. This is the day. <coughs> this is the day, the day that the sacrificial lamb, the Passover lamb, is going to shed its blood. And that blood will be applied to all those who receive him and believe the message of the gospel. Well, uh, this whole thing that we have read, I, I, I didn't even walk through the verses, but as I, I did make a couple of comments as I, I read through, but, <clears throat> but it's obvious that uh, Jesus is uh, orchestrating this. He's setting all these things in order, and uh, it's, they found the right man, they found the right place, and they, as the disciples were preparing 
for the Passover, no doubt this was more than just a few minutes because the lamb had to be taken to the temple. It had to be sacrificed at the temple and it had to be examined and, and uh, pronounced okay. <laughs> and so uh, uh, Josephus says a few years after that, that uh, there were some 250,000 lambs slain in the temple on a, uh, a, a Passover. So just imagine what kind of a line there was. And also, uh, you know, they had, to, they had to do that. Then they had to uh, cook it and uh, they had to gather all the vegetables and the other ingredients of the Passover meal. And, uh, and so this was, a, uh, uh, this was a pretty big deal. And not only that, we see that uh, there is a large upper room that uh, Jesus says it's his guest chamber. And so I don't know, but there's other times that we're going to read about an upper room. You know, on the uh, uh, day of the ascension, the disciples were... Uh, well, actually, the day after the resurrection, they were in an upper room. And the day of Pentecost, there was 120 of them in an upper room. We saw that this is a large room, so maybe, maybe, this uh, is the same room. But, uh, uh, so, they, uh, <clears throat> they're eating, and then they're, uh, re as they're, Reclining at table, Jesus says, uh, Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. One who is eating with me. And they began to be sorrow, uh, sorrowful and say to him, One after another is to die. And he said to them, It is one of the twelve. Now this is, uh, uh, I don't know if this, uh, is, uh, I don't know how it was, but the Passover was always a family thing, right? And so maybe we know that some of the disciples had families, so there may have been more than just Jesus and his disciples there. And so it's significant that he makes this distinction uh, when he says, it is one of the twelve, one of you guys right here, one of the 12 that's, who is dipping bread into the dish with me. And he says, for the Son of Man goeth as it is written of him. And here again, we have that assurance that this is not something that happened outside of God's control. Something that happened that was not planned upon, but Jesus said, woe. To that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed, it would be better, would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Now, Judas was the betrayer, but he was not the betrayer because God made him be a betrayer. But somehow, and I, I can't explain this, but God is able to work his will through the choices of men. So that in such a way, and I believe this is kind of what our confession teaches, 
in such a way that Judas can't blame God or anyone else, but, uh, uh, but he is still guilty of his own choice, his own sin. Although, in the end, it accomplished the will of God. We find then uh, that uh, if you read on, and I'm coming to a close, but if you read on, <clears throat> you'll find that uh, after Jesus announced his betrayal, uh, I believe it's uh, in uh, John's account that uh, uh, Jesus tells the disciples, all of you will uh, forsake me. And they all said, oh no, Peter said, uh, though everyone forsakes you, I won't forsake you. But Peter denied him. Judas was a betrayer. Mark tells us in verse 50, and they all left him and fled. Then in verse 51, he talks about himself. We, uh, most people, I think, believe. He said, and a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth around his body, and they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. So it wasn't just Judas who was disloyal. It wasn't just Peter who denied him. It was all his disciples who forsook him and fled. As a matter of fact, and this is what I want to leave with you, as a matter of fact, the only one who stayed the course, the only one who stuck it all out was Jesus. Your salvation doesn't have near as much to do with how well you can hang on or how well you can hold out. It has to do completely with the fact that he stayed the course, that he finished the work, and that he paid the price and became our Passover. Father, take your word, bless it to our hearts and our lives. I pray that we would be encouraged by these feeble remarks. That we would receive joy and, and express joy as those who have been delivered from bondage. In Jesus' name, amen.